Until relatively recently in world history, there weren't really any established legal procedures for how to handle prisoners of war or POWs. In ancient, medieval, and early modern history, POWs were often either executed, sold into slavery, or held for ransom. Following the Peace of Westphalia, which ended the Thirty Years' War in 1648, a de facto custom was established in Europe requiring POWs to be released shortly after their capture under the condition that they do not take up arms for the remainder of the war. The first POW camps, designed to hold large numbers of POWs, were established during the American Revolution. These camps, primarily found in southern colonies like Virginia and Maryland, allowed the Continental Army to detain captured British soldiers and Hessian mercenaries. POW camps became even larger, and by extension, more overcrowded, during the American Civil War, and these camps were often mismanaged. One prominent Union camp was Fort Delaware, off the coast of Pennsville, New Jersey. The most notorious Confederate camp was Camp Sumter in Andersonville, Georgia. Almost 30% of all Union POWs held there died due to starvation and disease before the war's end in 1865. Similarly inhumane conditions were found in British-run POW camps during the Second Boer War between 1899 and 1902. These prisoners held at these camps, including Dutch-descended Afrikaners and black South Africans, were given scarce rations and unsanitary living conditions. For an unbelievably brutal war, World War I's combatants actually had pretty decent standards for their POW camps, although the situation was much worse on the Eastern Front. In 1929, the Geneva Convention on Prisoners of War set out exact guidelines for how POWs were to be treated. These included requiring POWs to be housed in adequate conditions similar to those of the soldiers of the country detaining them, prohibiting commissioned officers from being forced to work, not allowing labor done by POWs to support the war effort, and giving all POWs at least one day of rest per week. When World War II broke out a decade later, the Geneva Convention had its first test. Some combatants adhered to it better than others. World War II is perhaps the most well-documented era for POWs in both scholarship and pop culture. In particular, the atrocities committed in POW camps run by the Axis powers are very well documented. POW camps run by Germany and Italy regularly did not abide by the Geneva Conventions. British and American POWs in these camps often had rations withheld and were forced to work hard labor, but still, their experiences paled in comparison to those of Soviet POWs in Germany. As part of Nazi atrocities against Slavic peoples during the Holocaust, over 3 million Soviet POWs were extrajudicially murdered by the Germans. But with the brutality of the Germans, Japanese POW camps were almost universally considered to be the worst. Due to the common Japanese belief that surrender was dishonorable, POWs captured by Japan were treated with very little humanity. 
POWs from Western allied countries were outright denied the protections of the Geneva Conventions by Japan, so they often lived in squalor, and even officers were forced to do backbreaking labor to feed the Japanese war machine. Captives from ethnic groups viewed as inferior by the Japanese racial hierarchy, such as Chinese and Koreans, frequently experienced more brutal treatment, such as torture and summary execution. The Allies had their own POW camps and adhered to the Geneva Convention to varying degrees. Soviet POW camps were often extremely brutal, and an estimated 35% of all German POWs in the USSR died before the war ended. American POW camps were, at least on paper, designed to be fair and humane. German and Japanese POWs were paid the same wages as American privates and were allowed to partake in educational classes and recreational events. But animosity towards Germans, Italians, and Japanese in the U.S. led to several extrajudicial killings of POWs, including the 1945 murder of nine German soldiers by an American private at Camp Salina in Utah. Interestingly, the first POW of World War II taken by the U.S. was captured before the U.S. even declared war on Germany or Japan. I'm going to tell you about him right now on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 96th episode of this podcast, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Special thank you to Patreon subscribers Barbara, Cameron Sherman, Scott Sherman, David Kahn, Lisa Chase, and Tom. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash historia obscura and becoming a patron. One more thing. Make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Spotify for Podcasters. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Spotify for Podcasters. Kazuo Sakamaki was born on November 8, 1918, in Awa, a city in the Tokushima Prefecture in Japan. Very little is known about his childhood except that he had seven siblings and was reportedly a model student known for his strong leadership qualities. Sakamaki initially desired to become a teacher, but various developments during his time in grade school caused him to change his plans. In September of 1931, Japan invaded the Chinese region of Manchuria. After five months of fighting, the Japanese puppet state of Manchukuo was established in February of 1932 with the deposed Qing Emperor Puyi as chief executive. In 1933, Japan withdrew from the League of Nations, as did Germany and Italy. Simultaneously, the fascist governments of all three of these nations continued to bolster their respective militaries. By the time Sakamaki graduated high school in 1936, the only path he saw forward was one in the military. He attended the Imperial Japanese Naval Academy in Hiroshima, graduating in 1940 as a second lieutenant in the Imperial Japanese Navy. Sure enough, 
By 1940, Japan had entered World War II as a member of the Axis powers, having waged a total war on China starting in 1937. Fearing that the non-combatant yet Western-aligned United States would interfere with Japanese expansionism in the Pacific theater, Japanese naval admiral Isoroku Yamamoto began planning a preventive surprise attack to intimidate the Americans into staying out of the war. This proposed attack was known as Plan Z. It was to consist of six aircraft carriers, dozens of tankers and submarines, and over 400 aircraft. The target of this attack, the United States Navy base at Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. After being promoted to the rank of ensign, Kazuo Sakamaki was selected to participate in the attack on Pearl Harbor. He and nine other officers were tasked with using five midget submarines, with two sailors assigned to each vessel. Sakamaki's other crewman was Chief Warrant Officer Kiyoshi Inagaki. On December 7, 1941, the submarines were launched and set sail for Pearl Harbor. As the attack commenced, Japanese planes bombed, strafed, and flew kamikaze-style into American ships. Meanwhile, the Japanese warships bombarded Pearl Harbor, damaging both the base and the surrounding city. Notably absent, however, was one of the Japanese midget submarines. While en route to the attack site, the geocompass in Sakamaki and Inagaki's submarine broke down, and Sakamaki lost control of the vessel. The submarine then got caught in a coral reef off the coast of Waimanalo Beach in Oahu, disabling it. As it began to sink rapidly, Sakamaki made the decision to ditch the submarine. He set an explosive charge meant to destroy the vessel and ordered Inagaki to swim to shore. However, this charge would never detonate it, and Inagaki drowned after being dragged underwater by the intact submarine. Nine of the ten sailors assigned to the midget submarines would die during the attack. Sakamaki, a strong swimmer, escaped the ship's current and made it to the shore of Waimanalo Beach. Beginning to experience the symptoms of dry drowning, Sakamaki lost consciousness and passed out on the beach. After passing out, Kazuo Sakamaki was discovered by David Akui, a United States Army Corporal in the Hawaii Territorial Guard, who was, interestingly, of partial Japanese ancestry. When Sakamaki woke up, he was handcuffed to a bed in a military hospital surrounded by armed security. As it turned out, Sakamaki was the only Japanese soldier captured during the attack on Pearl Harbor, which in turn made him the first POW captured by the United States in World War II. One day later, on December 8, 1941, the U.S. declared war on Japan. Sakamaki was interrogated while in the hospital, and after being treated and discharged, he was transferred to a detention center in Sand Island, Hawaii. The midget submarine that Sakamaki had ditched at Waimanalo Beach was recovered by American authorities, and it was brought on a cross-country tour as part of a successful campaign for American civilians to buy war bonds. 
Meanwhile, the Japanese military struck Sakamaki's name from all official records and told his family that he had been killed in action, viewing his capture as embarrassing and dishonorable. Sakamaki felt the same way, and he asked for permission from his American captors to commit ritual suicide, a request that was repeatedly denied. In February of 1942, Sakamaki was transferred to a POW camp on Angel Island off the coast of San Francisco, California. A couple months later, he was once again moved, this time to Camp McCoy in Monroe County, Wisconsin. The weather of Wisconsin was something that the already despondent Sakamaki had never experienced before, and he had trouble adjusting to the agricultural labor he was required to perform on local farms. However, his spirits were soon raised by the kindness and respect that he received from the Wisconsin farmers he worked alongside. He began to question whether or not Japan's strict military code was actually beneficial, and his treatment by his American captors made him realize that he did not need to commit suicide to be an honorable person. POW camp near San Antonio, Texas, Kazuo Sakamaki was released in 1945 following Japan's surrender at the end of World War II. By the time he returned to his family's home in Tokushima, Japan, Sakamaki had become a fierce pacifist. His return to Japan also marked the first time that his family confirmed he was still alive as they had previously been told that he had been killed at Pearl Harbor. Rather than the shame and ostracism he expected to receive, Sakamaki was met with fame and popularity in Japan. A year after he returned home, in 1946, Sakamaki met and married a young woman who was intrigued by his story. The couple would have two children. Sakamaki soon began a successful career, first as a construction company manager and later as a business associate with the Toyota Motor Corporation. In 1969, Sakamaki was promoted, becoming the president of the Brazilian subsidiary of Toyota. He returned to Japan in 1983, retiring in 1987. On November 29, 1999, Sakamaki died in Toyota, Japan, at the age of 81. According to his family, Sakamaki rarely spoke about the war for most of his life. But in 1991, eight years prior to his death, Sakamaki visited the National Museum of the Pacific War in Fredericksburg, Texas, approximately 60 miles north of the POW camp where he was once held. At this museum, he had the opportunity to see something that he had not seen in 50 years, the submarine he captained at Pearl Harbor. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. I really enjoyed writing it. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash Historia Obscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and become a patron. 
And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Spotify for Podcasters. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to spotify.com slash podcasters. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long. 